Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters uh, here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's a little after 6.30 p.m. and I'm getting some weird clicking noises from a computer that just decided to turn on. <laughs> Very strange. Anyway, the last couple of weeks uh, we've, uh, we've had a taped show, uh, kind of an uh, introduction to our World War I discussion this year. Of course, this is... Uh, this was in, in connection with the 100th anniversary of the assassination of Crown Prince uh, Franz Ferdinand of Austria. And World War I formally started about uh, in early August when uh, German, Germany decided to invade Belgium. So we were talking about some of the big uh, historical uh, issues connected to World War I. And, of course, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen more evidence of the uh, deleterious consequences of World War I, both in uh, Iraq, uh, the situation in Syria, these kinds of places, as well as uh, uh, renewed violence uh, in uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip. And, of course, this violence is, was precipitated by a couple of unfortunate uh, incidents uh, that both sides have exploited for the usual reasons, and... Uh, the Hamas-led uh, government in Gaza is firing rockets with uh, that are almost sort of like medieval catapults. They don't even seem to be aimed at anything in particular. And Israel uh, has got uh, 10,000 troops poised on the border. Possible ground uh, operations uh, may be underway at any moment. So we'll give a general brain damage award to Hamas and Benjamin Netanyahu. The number of Palestinians killed uh, keeps rising. I think it's almost up to 200 now. And uh, trying to negotiate uh, a settlement at this point will probably uh, prove to be difficult. Uh, at some point, the violence in the Middle East may just peter out. Jim just uh, entered the studio. Also give him a brief chance to catch his breath just to wrap up on World War One. Very briefly, it's uh, we're talking about some of the big things that resulted from World War One, including the Balfour Declaration that uh, occurred in 1917. One other thing that we may have neglected to mention that I wanted to reiterate was the fact that one of the consequences of uh, World War One here at home in America was that women got the right to vote. Uh, this sort of occurred because uh, women indeed uh, were, were working in many of the factories uh, here in the United States of America during World War I uh, when uh, we formally entered the war in April of 1917. At that point, as we pointed out uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, economic reasons as much as anything uh, explained our entry into the war on the side of the Allies. We simply had more... Uh, <laughs> War debts at stake, and our trade with Germany had literally evaporated to almost nothing. It went from uh, about $350, $350 million in 1914 to $2 million in 1917. So uh, we probably will do some more shows on the World War I anniversary. Uh, the formal beginning of the war, of course, started uh, in early August. Uh, so that will be upcoming. Yeah, and as far as uh, women getting the vote at that time, uh, they already enjoyed that privilege in Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was sort of a historical inevitability. Um, 
that it should happen here as well. Um, and of course, we did mention a little bit in the previous shows, uh, the World War One programs, uh, the Red Scare. Yeah, that happens in the wake of World War One, the Palmer raids, particularly. This is the uh, the beginning of J. Edgar Hoover's career as the nation's top lawman. Yeah, and as we pointed out, he was sort of fortunate to escape uh, a lot of scrutiny. He was basically an assistant in the uh, agency at the time called the Bureau of Investigation, and he was essentially the assistant of. Uh, Harlan Stone, who later went on to the Supreme Court. Stone, incidentally, turned out to be somewhat of a liberal, and he had promised uh, a Coolidge, I think, in 1924 to kind of ease up on the hysteria that the Bureau of Investigation had undertaken. And uh, Jager Hoover, an ever-competent bureaucratic infighter, sort of escaped much scrutiny and later became named as head of the Bureau of Investigation that later became the FBI. And, and that's a position he basically held for life. Yeah. Which makes him unique in 20th century American history. Um, he was the unquestioned chief of the secret police, essentially. Well, well he was, and it's interesting to compare him to the... Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> The this the chairman or the the heads of the secret police in the Soviet mm -hmm. Union who are all systematically murdered by their successors, Jager Hoover of course successfully blackmailed a number of presidents to keep his job. I think that's fairly well established. He had files on everyone. He was the master blackmailer. And by the way, there was a very interesting story this uh, earlier this year that I don't think we've talked about, but we may get to at some point, and that was the. Revelation, uh, a book has been published about the break-in of an FBI field office in Media, Pennsylvania, of all places. Uh, back in 1971, some of the participants who basically went into hiding and anonymity have come out and spoken out about why they did this. This was an important event because it revealed uh, the, to the extent that the FBI had been conducting uh, black bag jo jobs on uh, and illegal surveillance, uh, breaking and entering operations uh, to gather information on uh, particularly uh, left-wing anti-war activists, uh, civil rights leaders, um, communists, of course, and all sorts of other shenanigans that uh, J. Edgar Hoover had permitted, uh, tolerated, and even encouraged. It's interesting to note, by the way, in the fallout from the um, other Red Scare that followed World War I uh, that's commonly called McCarthyism, there were numerous cases uh, in which the FBI had, quote, evidence of either espionage or communist activity by certain individuals, but they never wanted to go to court <laughs> because they had broken the law themselves. So they kept a lot of this secret, but needless to say, J. Edgar Hoover continued to keep the files. <laughs> and maybe that's his uh, legacy of, of, of legacies. He was the keeper of the files, and he certainly blackmailed uh, congressmen, uh, famous uh, other politicians, and presidents to keep his job. Uh, he was actually, interestingly, supposed to retire by law uh, right around the time of the uh, Kennedy assassination, but he blackmailed Lyndon Johnson into keeping his job 
and needless to say, uh, actively participated in the cover-up of the the investigation uh, into the uh, murder of John F. Kennedy. And uh, when you put all that together, I think it uh, really pretty much equates uh, to, I think it's safe to say J. Edgar Hoover is one of the most treacherous individuals in U.S. 20th century history. Yeah. Duplicitous. Yeah. Self-serving. Power-tripping. And he made a lot of very interesting deals with nefarious people, including mafiosos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of well known that they allowed him to win at the racetrack uh, in exchange for a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, there's nothing going on here. Uh, worry about communists and left wing. Exactly. The focus on communism that the joke was in the 50s that uh, if you went to a communist meeting, a secret communist meeting, that... Uh, Nine out of ten of the so-called communists were actually undercover federal agents. Yeah, I think it's pretty well established that two-thirds of the so-called official communist party were actually undercover FBI people. It's remarkable stuff and, of course, was part of uh, J. Edgar Hoover's paranoia and general mental degenerative uh, complex. That, too. Of all sorts of varieties. (laughs) Uh, speaking of uh, mentally degenerative people, let's give out a brain damage award to John Boehner. I, I mean, suing the president. Yeah. Uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, Boehner has, I don't think, ever really done his job or understood his job. He's Speaker of the House, but he somehow thinks he's kind of leader of the caucus, uh, which is very disorganized. And it's interesting to note that, of course, the big... Uh, brouhaha in recent weeks has been the uh, complicated problem of uh, the immigration situation, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, children that are coming into the United States across the border. They're literally falling into the, the arms of the Border Patrol. What's to be done about it? Well, as usual, America's in denial about any of the facts regarding the history of the, these problems. Uh, the violence in, in some of these uh, Central American c- countries where these children are coming from of course, was uh, promoted by uh, the CIA uh, and uh, the Reagan administration in particular. They were particularly lenient, by the way, in allowing uh, immigrants to come in from, quote-unquote, communist countries. Uh, The Republican Party has always uh, believed that, quote, Latinos are secret Republicans. They just don't know it. Uh, But uh, they were very tolerant of all... Largely because... They're often religious. Yeah. Well, they're very tolerant, and this even dates back to Nixon. There were mm-hmm. there were certainly uh, Eastern refugee, Eastern Almost European, white. Eastern <laughs> European refugees yeah. were were allowed in right. at, in large numbers, and uh, it's well established, for instance, that one seventh of El Salvador uh, came into the United States mm-hmm. in the 1980s, uh, fleeing the violence there. That the United States was uh, supporting the military. Uh, uh, dictatorship down there and their quote-unquote guerrilla war against the FMLN. Uh, Honduras, of course, was a staging area for America's uh, war against the Sandinistas. Uh, this, of course, has led to all kinds of violence and um, basically almost a kind of a breakdown of uh, the social order in these countries. And uh, because of this weird separate uh, deal that they have with Mexico, um, refugees or immigrants, illegal immigrants coming into the United States are not immediately dispatched to their countries of origin. They, they are allowed immigration hearings. 
And when Obama requests two point or three billion dollars to deal with the problem, what do we get from Boehner? Oh, I'm going to sue the president. <laughs> now, how does that even work? I mean, does he sue Barack Obama as an individual holding the office? Do you sue the office? Well, it's that's, unclear. That's suing yeah. the U.S. government, isn't it? Of which he's a part. Well, he it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Well, he claims he's doing it to assert congressional rights under the Constitution, which, by the way, they can do that through the impeachment process. That's how you get back at the president, if you wish. Uh, but it's it's pretty well established that uh, the Senate passed an immigration bill a year ago. What's what's Boehner done about the problem? Well, it's interesting to go back and examine John Boehner on the immigration question. We'll we'll call him out on this. This is from a uh, interesting sarcastic column by Gail Collins, dated the tenth of February, uh, in which he uh, which he uh, singles out the. Uh, certifiably brain-dead uh, congressman from Iowa named Steve King, who made this remarkable comment uh, regarding uh, the immigration problem. Uh, for In describing dreamers, he said uh, they were young people who were illegally brought into the country when they were children uh, as a uh, generation of drug mules, and that they, quote, have calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. This that is, sounds like a robust race of super people. This is a member of the Republican branch of the Tea Party. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's actually running for the Senate in the state of Iowa, trying to replace uh, the venerable Tom Harkin. Well, here's John Boehner uh, in, in the in the early week of February this past year, where uh, Gail Collins uh, writes this. She says, "Pop quiz: Complete the following sentence. John Boehner dropped plans to pass immigration reform in 2014, and blamed his sudden abrupt U-turn on a the people who closed down the George Washington Bridge, without Chris Christie ever knowing a single thing about it." B, Russian oligarchs. C, Justin Bieber. <laughs> D, President Obama. Yes, everybody got that right. John Boehner says that the House Republicans won't pass the bill, the plan that they came up with last week, because Barack Obama ruined everything. This is a quote. Listen, there's widespread doubt about whether this administration can be trusted to enforce our laws he told a press conference, and it's going to be difficult to move any immigration legislation until that changes. <laughs> okay, uh, the, har the horse, the cart, you figure it out. But hasn't the system continued to work as it does? I mean, people still get, you know, kicked out. Sure. And, of course, you know, the, the other fact about this uh, illegal immigration problem is that 40% of the people here illegally are people that flew into the country and simply overstayed their visa. Hmm. Uh, the, w we know what the facts are. We know that there are a record number of Border Patrol agents. Collins, by the way, later in her um, column notes the following. She says, under Obama, half of all federal crime prosecution involves immigration crime. The government now spends more on enforcing immigration laws than it spends on the FBI, DEA, Secret Service, U.S. Marshals, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives combined. 
So uh, once again, you know, there's a kind of a disconnect between the reality of what's what's at the heart of the problem and any substantive uh, reform, particularly when John Boehner simply refuses to bring the bill up for a vote. Well, that's his his modus operandi. And then, yeah, blames Obama for the problem. Of course, one of the other unspoken elements of the immigration situation is that, uh, the agricultural sector of the American economy relies on cheap labor. You know, your lettuce gets picked by these uh, folks who come in through Mexico. There's so, another uh, uh, interesting little factoid about the connected to the immigration problem. I have two little items here that are so bizarre. I, I mentioned them in connection with the uh, yet another bizarre gun uh, shooting in the state of Texas. By the way, there was a there was a gun shooting out in Vegas a couple of weeks ago in which uh, some crazy couples yes. uh, whose names we don't need to mention, they're forgettable people, they were on Facebook and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you read the details of the actual crime, which happened in a Walmart, they talked about the revolution starts now, and they decided to go on a shooting spree. Uh, the guy, the, the, the actual so-called one of the victims was a man who went for his gun and the woman shot him so he he was one of these guys who thought he would intervene on the crime going to be the hero went to his car to get his gun and well he's dead as a result but it's interesting uh, this is from a harper's index last year it says chance that a u.s firearms dealer depends on trafficking to mexico for its economic existence one in two now, is there any discussion, by the way, in this immigration debate? And we always hear about the drugs. You know, we have we have uh, Steve King uh, and his infinite uh, stupidity. Uh, <laughs> they've got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana. Right. <laughs> Are they flotation devices? Uh, who no knows? one has calves like that. Yeah, I, I, RoboCop maybe. <laughs> RoboCop or Samson and Delilah. Right. Victor Mature. <laughs> uh yeah, I you know that, that it, that's the common thing, but there's this man. there's this there's this other aspect to this whole problem at the border with the, with the guns that are going back and mm-hmm. forth. And once again, it's uh well, American firearms dealers uh Dependent on Mexico for its economic existence. Where, where do you think the narco traffickers are getting the guns? What do you think the gangs down in uh, Honduras, that's now called the most violent place on the planet, are getting the guns? Well, quite likely from American uh, firearms dealers that are evading the law and proud of it. Uh, they believe in the Second Amendment. <laughs> they believe and in it everywhere. Maybe not the first. <laughs> And, of course, you know, the, 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 the whole refugee problem is nothing short of catastrophic globally. We had a U.N. report just uh, you know, about five or six weeks ago that, that reported, uh, I think, fairly factually that uh, the number of refugees fleeing violence globally had risen above 50 million, the highest of all time. And this violence, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's from Mali to Afghanistan in that part of the world. Um, it's obviously rampant in Central America. Um, 
policy solutions are what we need from John Boehner, not uh, more uh, talking points for the The, the 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 voters that he thinks uh, that this issue works for him or this kind of, well, well, we'll sue the president. I can't wait for the details of the lawsuit, by the way. Yeah, that'll be uh, interesting for legal scholars to examine as they emerge. And, of course, another uh, comical feature uh, connected to this is uh, Sarah Palin's goofy face uh, pops up yet again. And, and polls show that 30% of Republicans self-identified still see her as a potentially viable candidate oh. for office. Well, that's no uh, surprise since two-thirds of uh, Republicans think that uh, Iraq had uh, weapons of mass right. destruction. So uh, Denial on factual things. Are... But her comment about Boehner's lawsuit is that's like bringing uh, a lawsuit to a gunfight. Hmm. Okay, so remember the targeting thing that yeah. she said before? You know, they had that little logo with Democrat, uh, Democratic candidates uh, in, in targets. Um, no, that's just a focus line. That's not a target, she said, as she was hunting moose from a helicopter or something ridiculous like that. So, oh, right, where they placed the moose down on the ridge so she right. could shoot them. <laughs> yeah. So I look forward to Sarah Palin's candidacy at this point. I... While she's trying to burnish her image as an outdoors woman, Calamity Jane, yeah, Annie Oakley. Uh, oh, yes. And the anti-Oakley. The midnight ride of Paul Revere <laughs> that brought a, a rapid end to her infamous Indeed it did. tour of America. Or whatever she was calling it, Liberty Tour. Who uh, claimed that Paul Revere uh, went around firing a gun and ringing a bell. Stephen Colbert, I uh, looked that one up. That's one of his highest moments. Uh, the uh, midnight pure the, satire, the, re the recreation of the midnight ride of Paul Revere by uh, Stephen Colbert, who's now going to be a late night talk show host. By yeah. the way, in the same, uh, and I, I meant to read this a couple of weeks ago because this has got to be one of the funniest. I mean, the funniest things I've ever read in the Harper's Index. Um, in the same one that, that cites this uh, U.S. firearms dealer dependent on trafficking, and this, of course, is uh, somewhat gun-related, uh, if not uh, relevant to the <laughs> events that are occurring right now globally. Uh, this, is, uh, this is most remarkable. It says, the cost of 50 pork-coated 9-millimeter rounds designed by an Idaho company as a, quote, natural deterrent to radical Islam Twenty-four seventy-five. You too can buy a pork-coated bullet, basically for fifty cents a piece, and this is marketed as a natural deterrent to radical Islam. How that works in Idaho is unclear to me, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how many Muslims there are in Idaho, and radical Muslims, I doubt there's any. But uh, you have to wonder what a pork-coated bullet's going to do to the chamber and barrel of your gun. I mean, you've got to clean those things out after you shoot them every time. And, of course, these bullets, I suppose, could be used to shoot hippies or vegetarians or right. even Jews if Vegans. you're in the KKK. Uh, but... Um, you know, regular bullets, I think, <laughs> that the pork adds nothing. You know, rubber bullets kill. Yeah. 
Um, so a pork-coated bullet is going to kill, too. But I guess this could imply that uh, if you're making the BLTs and you're all out, you can just shoot your sandwich. <laughs> Get that nice pork flavor. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Punching its way through your sandwich. I wonder, I wonder who's going to come up with pork rinds as, as uh, ammunition. Maybe H.W. Uh, Bush can work on that one. Uh, wasn't that his? Now, pork rinds was a big snack for him. Yeah, big, big snack for him. Pork rinds. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, this uh, obviously, the in all seriousness aside, this uh, immigration refugee crisis at the border is serious stuff, and uh, obviously, uh, John Boehner doesn't have any solutions. So we'll give him a brain damage award for just being John Boehner. He's always. Uh, I don't know what I'm too sure where his brain is at sometimes, but uh, I well, he looks like a guy who's got one eye on the door, really, because I don't really think he has any further, you know, political aspirations above or beyond this. I don't think he's seeking a higher office at any later point. Um, We know he likes to go golfing. We know he likes to drink pretty heavy. Um, He's what they call a time server, I think. Basically, I just he doesn't really care. Well, he he grew up as a saloon keeper, and I think that's the problem. <laughs> He's uh, I don't know sampled a few too many of his own drinks. Well, and his his obviously his caucus is in continuing disarray for all sorts of reasons, and uh, keeping Steve King on the reservation is always a difficult proposition. Uh, just wanted to make a brief comment. There is a, f- uh, a cover story in yesterday's New York Times about Detroit. I just uh, am highlighting this as something you may want to look at. It's uh, by Ben Austin, entitled Detroit Through Rose-Colored Glasses, about the uh, revival of Detroit, the efforts at revival. Mm-hmm. Very interesting stuff. And, of course, uh, Dan Gilbert, who is uh, rebuilding a lot of downtown Detroit... Uh, with his money, he's put big-time bets on downtown Detroit. Uh, of course, uh, garnered the services of LeBron James over the weekend. He hmm. actually owns the Cleveland Cavaliers in addition to all of his other assets. So uh, I recommend reading this article if you're particularly interested in the revival of Michigan's economy because I think uh, – some of the things that they're doing in downtown Detroit in terms of rehabilitating the neighborhoods, plowing the houses down, uh, getting the streets. Long overdue. Long overdue. And it, it is sort of happening. It's happening. There is there is some optimism. And I think that what's good about this article is that it counteracts all of the sort of knee-jerk negative media analysis of Detroit. As and a failed city or what have you. Gives yeah. you a little bit of a different perspective, though. It does suggest that Dan Gilbert is going to own a rather large chunk of downtown Detroit. Well, I'll tell you, if if I had lots of spare capital, I'd be buying up as much land there as I could. I think that's really a city with a future. And despite the reluctance of Lansing to do anything to help um, and the you know conservative folks from Grand Rapids, uh, I don't think they really care much uh, at all about Detroit. I think uh, when Governor Snyder uh, basically made it uh, unfeasible for the film industry to continue uh, setting up shop there, I think that was a slap in the face of Detroit and a lot of people uh, looking for those jobs. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, well, we'd definitely like to thank Andrew for engineering once again this evening here on Gray Matters. Uh, I, I did see and spotted Weston, so I do believe that Yazoo City Calling is coming up shortly right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, hmm. Well, when in doubt about uh, former uh, <laughs> brilliance from uh, the uh, caucus known as the Republican Caucus, Let's remember that Tom DeLay, this is from The Nation magazine. I've always loved this one about guns. He said, guns have little or nothing to do with juvenile violence. This is following Columbine. The causes of youth violence, say, uh, says Tom DeLay, are daycare, the teaching of evolution, and working mothers who take birth control pills. Well, maybe the Supreme Court <laughs> ought to read that one. <laughs> they seem to have some uh, confusion about birth control pills but what's new we'll talk about them in an upcoming show because some of their uh, late rulings are more than a little troubling although Indeed. it's interesting that a supreme court scholar noted that there were more nine to nothing uh, supreme court decisions this year than at any time since the late 40s huh. but those were on technical matters and uh, i'm getting the countdown here that we are out of time, so do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next, right here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Coming directly from the Hilton Hotel, on top of the Hilton Hotel, for your entertainment pleasure. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. If you're any further left, you'd be watching TV. Good evening. It's time for Yazoo City Calling, our weekly tribute to early authentic American blues music, broadcasting to you live every Monday at 7 p.m. on 88.3 FM since 1988 when Jerry Max uh, created this show. My name is Weston and I'm your host this week. If you'd like to call and make a request, 734-763-3500 is the phone number. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight's broadcast with a recording made by the guitarist Lonnie Johnson in the year 1927. This is titled, Four Hands Are Better Than Two, and I think we can all agree on that. 